Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Life After Business, the podcast. This is Ryan Tansom, and today... We've got a guest named Chris Goble, and he had a great family business called Lakefront Lines, which was a bus and transportation company that specialized in working with a lot of the airports within the Midwest. And Chris had a very interesting dynamic with a lot of family members inside the business, which I think was upwards in the 350 to 400 employees. And Chris's unique experience from having a family business that then rolled it up to a third party and then another roll-up that he was involved in over the course of his tenure with the multiple companies. So Chris has got a lot of different gold nuggets for us. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy the interview with Chris. Well, good afternoon, Chris. Thanks for coming on the Life After Business show. You're welcome. I'm pleased to be here and um, look forward to the opportunity to discussing with you today. So uh, for our listeners, why don't you just give them a little bit of a rundown because you've got a very interesting past with uh, a family business and a couple different stages throughout that. And uh, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of a background on how you got into entrepreneurship and um, what your exposure was? Okay. Uh, the best way of doing it is probably just give you a little perspective about the company when it was started and and that information. Well, the company was started by my father originally in 1962 we had a large family there was nine siblings and wow. he was a he was a cleveland police officer so after work to earn an extra few dollars uh, for that big family of his he would take people home that were stranded at the cleveland hopkins airport it just gradually grew into a business and then he retired um, prematurely from the police department cleveland police department and started this career or his this company, Hopkins Airport Limousine Service. And just throughout the years, probably all my siblings have worked in it at some capacity, whether it was, you know, washing vehicles or handing out schedules or helping load luggage at times. Uh, so and, how, how old were you when you, uh, when your dad uh, switched full time to the, the business? Actually, it was um, the year I was born that he switched full time. So I, always remember that date when he started uh, <laughs> very easily. And um, in the end, um, <clears throat> we ended up with about six different siblings siblings in the business uh, when we sold it. Uh, we had the Hopkins Airport Limousine side of it for a number of years. Uh, then in the late se- 70s, early 80s, we got into the bus business. And the <clears throat> equity owners, which are my older brothers at that point in time, purchased Lakefront Lines. And it was a good acquisition because the bus industry, at least in this market, was really starting to take off with a lot of the individuals coming into retirement age and looking for tours, whether it be going to destinations or gambling junkets, as they call it. So we, it was a very good, t- good time for to get into the business, and that actually ended up growing to be one of the larger the two entities that we had. And it was two separate corporations, uh, Lakefront Lines and Hopkins Airport Limousine Service. With your, uh, were your parents the sole owners in, or you said you had a couple other siblings? What did the ownership structure look like? Well, the Hopkins Airport Limousine Service, my parents were the sole owners. And then I was still in uh, just uh, graduating college when they 
got the lakefront lines of it, or uh, just starting college, I should say. And uh, my three older brothers and my father were the only equity owners in that business at that point in time. And so some of the, the other siblings that were involved in the business, were they older than you or younger? Or what was the, the span of the ages? The uh, span of the, there was six of us pretty much involved in the business um, when it really started to grow through the eighties. There, the span of the age group was probably a 15 year span for my oldest brother, Mike, older brother, Mike, who was involved in it. And my brother, Jack, Tom, myself, my brother, Jim, and my brother, Jeff, uh, and then also my sister, Maura. But the age difference between the oldest and the youngest was about just under 15 years. Interesting. So coming from a family business myself and uh, the comment that you made about every one of the siblings have worked in it at some point or another, explain to me some of the dynamics that you and your siblings had with the family and the business. As far as dynamics of what we did there or how the... Yeah, just in how how the how I mean I guess maybe the more point qu- question is how did you guys separate business and family and how did the two um, bubbles overlap? Well, the it was a seven day operation business, so business was always around there uh, from that point. As far as how we separated it, my dad did a pretty good job with that. I, keeping things separate when it was family time. You know, you might still might get calls um, at that at that time, but they didn't have cell phones early on. So if you got a call, if there was really nobody there to do anything or help, you know, the, you had to find another alternative. But the uh, family dynamics, we all um, grew up together. We all, my dad loved to hunt and fish, so that's where he spent a lot of time with the family from that standpoint. So we all enjoyed the outdoors and as far as the uh, dynamics, what it did in a family, I mean, you're always conscious of, of being in the business. I mean, it worked to some advantages from the standpoint that there was a very labor intensive business. So my dad was able to draw on what I'll call cheap labor to do certain <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, and it also gave my mom a relief, I think, sometimes by being able to take several of us out to our maintenance facility and help clean the grounds or wash vehicles or clean the garage. Uh, from that standpoint. So, you know, we were in touch with the business early on. So how did you guys, um, I mean, with that many um, of your siblings in the business, how did you guys fall into the roles that you guys got? Well, that was pretty much by birth order, I would say. Um, The roles, you know, early on there was, my older brothers were pretty much whatever needed to be done. Uh, You know, they contributed to, and certain ones lean towards the maintenance side of it. Certain ones lead lended themselves more to dealing with the customers and the personal contact uh, with that. And then when we got into the bus side of it, the roles probably came a little bit more defined because of the size of the business and what we had to do uh, with um, maintaining the business. So, and then we had the two separate companies. So we helped that helped um, create some differences on who was responsible for what. And then there's always, you know, some individuals that sort of rise to the top, you know, from a more administrative standpoint and what they can do for the business. And your dad was and the the management team was pretty clear, it sounds like, on the different expectations that were required of everybody in order to continue to move up. At times it was very clear. At other times it wasn't. There was, you know, sometimes you 
had situations where not everybody agreed on how things should be processed or followed. Um, there was times when other individuals had to, um, you know, step up to the plate to do certain things. And I think that's sort of the, at least in my experience, that's sort of the dynamics of growing up in a family business. It evolves. And then when you get to a certain level of the business growth, those things sort of work ways out as far as what's expected of them and what their defined roles are. Uh, but early on, you know, you're, you know, you're sort of like a, your finger in a dike, you know, you're <laughs> yep. with their hole in that finger in that hole at that point in time where well, you might, you might, that might be your job for the day. Yeah. You're closest. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Give our listeners maybe a little bit of a, a perspective on the size of the companies, and you don't have to share anything that is not um, able to disclose. But you know, f- uh, from the limousine business and the and the bus business, maybe the size when you uh, brought on both of those together, and then at the time of the sale. Well, at the time of the exit, we were just we were about 175 to 150 vehicles. We had four different terminals throughout the. St- Ohio, Columbus, Toledo, Cincinnati, and uh, um, Cleveland being our corporate headquarters. And that was pretty much related to the bus side of it. On the Hopkins Airport side, it was pretty much regional to northeastern Ohio, servicing the Cleveland Hopkins International Airport and a large regional airport in the Canton, Akron, Canton area. And then we also did contract services under the airport Hopkins Airport Limousine Banner, where we would do contracts, whether it be employee shuttles uh, for the airport or employee shuttles for corporations. We did transit-type contracts uh, for an extended period of time, usually three to five years, those contracts were with that. And the bus side, it was more or less charters and tours. That was the most of their business uh, that they did. Interesting. So... um for our listeners, you know some of the things that we discuss are kind of the the value the value key drivers of a business, and you know you've said the word contracts a couple of times. So you did you ex- explain the nature of the contracts that you had? Were there uh, what were the kind of the terms, and then what was the percentage of the contract revenue versus the other transactional revenue? Well, the contracts when we started was probably about three percent. Uh, when I finally left the company. We were up to about 21% of contract sales, and I pretty much administered that side of it and doing the bid work, preparing everything. And that was a, important because it really helped iron out or level out the revenue stream. The bus side of it and the airport side of it could be pretty seasonal based on traffic patterns and uh, seasonality related to weather and events. So that helped uh, – you know, create a better revenue stream or more reoccurring revenue stream. On the bus side of it, like I said, it was very, it was seasonal, even though that was the largest part of our business was the charters and tours. Um, so it was a good compliment for to both companies to come together and use their strengths, even though they were, quote, operated independently. One was a C Corp, one was an S Corp. So, you know, that added to keeping them separate too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So as you, I mean, that's a pretty significant growth go from three to 21%. Was that um, a conscious initi- initiative as you were doing that? Or was it because of the fatigue on the seasonality of the other revenue? It was a conscious effort. And it was also just what, opportunities within the market okay. uh, that we were able to capitalize on. 
we you know, we were had four different geographical areas, so we did try to use those as platforms to operate other contracts. And we did get into doing contracts on a national basis where we operated some in California and some in Maryland uh, in the beginning. Uh, but then we refocused to try to keep use our strengths in our geographical area, which was basically the Midwest and surrounding states of Ohio. Interesting. So walk us a little bit through the the journey that you guys went from growing a successful business like you had to the eventual exit. You know, what was there a specific triggering event that happened with you and the family or within the marketplace? And uh, what? Yeah, explain to us a little bit about um, the details around that. Well, I would say the triggering events in us were one was the age or the makeup of the management executive management. They were getting at a point in time where they were questioning how long they wanted to remain in the business and how long they wanted to continue the business and if they wanted to pass it on generationally. And the other thing was an opportunity that presented itself to us for other people, a couple of the companies approached us. And those are the two triggering events regarding our decision to sell. And it was a unanimous decision, even though we had operated two separate companies, you know, we still met as an executive team collectively and made choices collectively for the business. Really, that's a, I'd say that's a unique characteristic from some of the stories I've heard. Um, and when you're referring to management team, are you referring to your family or were there other people that were not family on the management team? No, it was just our family. There was enough of us that we were able to fill most of the management positions or roles you know obviously we had controllers and we had safety personnel mm-hmm. that were we considered at a management level but it was pretty much the family that directed the ship so how did the conversation go i mean is, is it was it something where um there i guess what the, the question i'm asking is did the third party and the age all kind of come together or was there any um, plan that was going in front of that before that happened or what were the different options that you sat down and ran with your family? Well, there was, I would say it was just pretty much the timing related to the offer and uh, dynamics of the age of the management structure, management team. Um, we did have an opportunity in the early 90s, someone approached us up when they were the industry, the bus industry was going through a big roll up from a lot of mom and pop or privately held companies in the late 90s. We looked at the at that point in time, but we collectively decided not to do anything. And so it was probably about 10 years later in 2008, 2007, we were approached and really got us thinking. And then we worked with an individual within the industry to help put our package together and help us uh, solicit offers from the people that approached us. Interesting. So when you when you guys sat down as the management team and a family, what were some of the kind of the non-negotiables? Where did, where did you start? Was it a dollar amount or was it a culture and employee uh, perspective? You know, what were some of the, the key aspects that you wanted to make sure went through throughout the sale? Well, obviously the dollar amount. The other part was taking care of our employees. Like most family businesses usually have, employee turnover is fairly low. So you do have least in our case, most of our people were with us, I would say, on the average 15 to 20 years. And that was both for um, all levels of the of the employee structure, whether it be uh, cleaners and maintenance, drivers, 
you know, we, we had a lot of good people for us and a lot of people enjoyed working for us. So we wanted to make sure we took care of them from that standpoint. Uh, and also the deal that was, it was structured properly. There was, we elected two people, myself and my brother, Tom, to spearhead the process once we decided to go that route and help prepare all the documents and deal with the attorneys uh, and so forth until the deal was complete. From start to finish, how long did the whole um, process take? I would say it probably took less than six months. It moved pretty quick. Yeah, it did. That's uh, that's a very, very quick uh, process. You know, one of the things that um, you and I have discussed in the past and with uh, the class that we're in, but, you know, a lot of deals fall through in due diligence and uh, when they're uh, packaging the, the, the deal in terms and conditions. You know, what were some of the surprises that you saw throughout that whole process? Well, we were pretty sound. We had a pretty good financial structure that we were able to build uh, with our business. So during the class, they all, they spoke about the in companies that were prepared to sell or ready to sell. We had a lot of that in place. And I think it wasn't so much by the, that we had this master plan, but it was more just the way we operated our business. And so financially and the size of our company uh, were just perfect at that point in time. Generally within our industry, most of the bus companies are privately held where there's smaller family operations. They generally don't get to the size that we do. Uh, when we sold, we were the 16th largest privately held bus company or transportation company in the country. So we had a lot of, um, I would say, cloud or advantages or, or um, we maximized our business model and that was very appealing to a lot of um, people that were looking at us. How many employees did you guys have when you sold? We had probably between um, 375 to 400. Okay, yeah, it, that's a that's a pretty significant size company. So that you know, kind of the, what you're saying with your with the amount of siblings that you've got and that size of company, the processes kind of have to fall into place because you can't be really Jerry rigging a whole lot of stuff together, huh? <laughs> no, that's correct. So, <laughs> so who and um, when you were when you talked about uh, there's there a couple different things going on with a roll up and who were the different uh, bidders that you went out and solicited? Was it uh, third party competitors or was it um, private equity groups or who were, who was the makeup of the different people you went to? Uh, one was a private equity group, Fenway Partners, and the other one was a UK owned company, Stagecoach Group, who owns Coach USA. Those were the two dominant players. So when you when you guys finally decided, who, uh, I guess the first question would be is who did you end up selling to, and what were the reasons you went with them? Well, we ended up selling it to Fenway Partners, which was an equity firm, and then we were rolled up under their coach company, which was called Coach America, and they basically offered the best package all the way around for the company, and then eventually we were. Um, purchased or sold to Stagecoach Group and the second transition in 2012. So really both companies end up having, having uh, or owned us, even though the equity firm was the first one. Interesting. So what, what was your role um, after the transition? Did they keep you or any of your siblings on? And what was the, um, what was the transition um, like that? Well, they kept my... Myself and my brother Tom on as far as the executive management team 
And then there was a couple siblings that stayed on in the capacities that they were in, which were on the accounting and financial side, and then also on our our bus ticket or reclaim side of the business. So would you? So you went from a, a pretty significant management role to an employee, um, and a lot of lot of people that I know that have sold their companies and they've got some sort of earnout or some sort of stay package. Uh, find it very difficult, and there's a lot of different challenges with every person. Is there? How did that work for you? I mean, what was the uh, engagement you had with them, and then how did you how did you navigate through that? Well, in our case, even though that the the company transitioned to an equity firm, we were we performed real well for them. We were probably one of their gel, gems in their portfolio of portfolio of business or bus companies. So we were pretty much left alone because we were doing things right and um, meeting their revenue requirements and sales requirements. So there really wasn't a whole lot of difference from that standpoint. Uh, however, when we, in 2012, when Coach USA acquired us, or Stagecoach Group, um, my other brother Tom left who was the president and general manager at that time. I moved into his position. At that point in time, there was, there was a lot of transition and change to their business model and that was a little more difficult to maneuver and to um, work things through. What were some of the difficult pieces you saw? Well, one of them was obviously you know, going from a privately held company, even though it's by an equity firm, to a publicly traded, the whole financial and reporting side of it is much more complex. Their uh, funding requirements was was required more um, paperwork, more uh, follow through. Uh, the um, their expectations and their business model was different. Some of their processes were different than what our processes were. So you were trying to try to bring those processes together, where you take the best of theirs and the best of ours. Sometimes always didn't mesh. How did your How did your employees take that with the new changes? With the equity firm, there was really no problems through that one. I would say once we went from a owned by a PE firm to a publicly traded, the overall culture and dynamics I would say changed and probably did affect them more so. Yeah, a little bit more scrutiny, huh? <laughs> yes. Um, so as you're going through the the process, did you know? Did you have all intentions to stand on as you saw fit, or did you have kind of a couple different gates in your mind that you needed to hit before you moved on yourself? No, I planned on staying on uh, through the first transition um, to the equity firm, and then the second transition through to Coach USA. I was plan I, I stayed on for two and a half, almost three years, and then I, I made a choice to leave to pursue other opportunities. And and. Uh, the other opportunities that you're uh, going through right now, can you give us a little bit of a overview of what you're up to today? Well, one of the things I'm trying to do is to leverage my experience in the family business for the number of years I was in it and all the dynamics that come across that into a consulting opportunity. And I'm trying to complement that with the SEPA certification that you and I both have and um, help smaller privately held businesses work through that process, whether it's a transition to exit the business or it's a transition to 
from a generational transition or a transition to, uh, you know, management buyout or something like that so that they can work through those issues. What are some of the common things that you see that people are doing um, that are kind of the first few things that you attack or um, discuss when you're sitting down with your clients? Well, so far, the people I've spoke to, because I've just initially started that within the last few months, so I'm trying to build that practice. But the few people that I have talked to, they're totally surprised with the valuation acceleration model and and understanding that and how that really sets the course for their business going forward. And the other part of it, the equation is how many of them are just so ill-prepared from the standpoint of having any type of documentation um, to go to follow that process or any type of formal roadmap. It doesn't surprise me though, because I think so many entrepreneurs are involved in building their business and operating it, that it's one of those things they realize they have to do, but it's not a priority. The priority is building the business or maintaining it or um, expanding it, whatever it may be. Uh, And I think they focus on that, thinking the other will eventually take care of itself. And as you and I both learned that sometimes it doesn't take care of itself and you really need to address those issues early on. Yeah, the the time to start planning is yesterday, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, when you look back at all, I mean, that's a very interesting past that you've had going from family to a PE to a public company and not a lot of people get to experience that. You know, what are, what are the two takeaways that you had, whether it was things that you did right or things that you wish you would have done differently? Well, I wish we would have planned further out or giving us, giving ourselves a a longer runway in order to exit the business. And just what I've learned in the class and, and talking with uh, Chris Snyder from EPI, there were things I thought we could have done differently to actually even increased our, our price maybe not necessarily the dollar amount of the of the deal, but obviously what we were able to keep in our pockets through different tax opportunities or savings and also through different wealth management opportunities with that. So that would be one area that I would say. Um, the second area is I would make sure that you get a little bit more definitive on what all the roles are going forward after that transition. And make sure that everybody's on the the same understanding and that even the the company that acquires you it, see what they want to do. I mean, we had the opportunities to grow and had some major contact tracks come through that we weren't able to take advantage of because of the direction that the equity firm or Coach America wanted to go was a little different than what we our business model was. So that at times, uh, we lost some opportunities because of that, even though we were very successful, even though that we didn't capitalize on some opportunities. So I would say make sure that you have a more definitive and clear understanding of what their expectations are and where they want to grow the business. Making sure that you both have the same vision for the company and for the people and the roles and everything, huh? Yes, because everybody, you know, there's, it's standard, oh, we want to grow the business, we want to expand it here, expand it there. Well, that those can be generic terms or generic understandings. And I think you really need to drill down and get some specifics. So, you know, one of the things that um, 
a lot of entrepreneurs that have sold businesses experience um, from the stories that we've heard are is the whole transition not necessarily in the tactical way of the business um, from you know the sale to the new acquirer but it's the actual emotional situation where who am I without my business? You know, I, did you, and how did you navigate that? I mean, you obviously have jumped onto something new fairly quick. Um, how did, how did you go about doing that? I mean, is, is there, was there a process that you went through that led to the success or the, um, complications of it? Well, in my case, you know, since I tra- I pretty much stayed within the business and pretty much maintained the same functions I was operating, even though we were acquired by an PE firm, and then also the second transition to a publicly traded company, there wasn't a whole lot of change for me. So that, say, third leg of the stool really didn't come into impact until I made a decision to pursue other career opportunities. And it you know, took a couple months for me to, I will say, get my bearings and understand what I wanted to do and how I wanted to move forward. And I think that's happens to a lot of entrepreneurs because they that business is their life for so long and when you make a big change on that without any type of pre-planning which i really didn't do myself you know you have to address things it was it was uh it was an odd feeling at first you know first of the first couple of days of final this is nice i can I, I don't mind sleeping in a little bit and waking up a little later but then <laughs> as you as the weeks go on it's like boy, I need something to do. I have to work. I have to do something to occupy your time. And uh, for me, that part of it, I didn't really do well uh, from that standpoint. Uh, and I I seen some of those similar things as I look back on it after going through the SEPA class and, and some of the instructors that we had in the class, uh, different siblings, how they each had a different um, third leg of their chair you know, some handled it fine. Some had a more difficult situation. So that in itself has been a learning for me so that I can take that information and hopefully use that to my advantage in working with entrepreneurs or privately held businesses as they look to do their transition. So how did your other siblings work throughout that whole process? I mean, because you had with you, there was, I think you said it was just you and your brother that went on to the newer place, or you said a couple of them, but between the the whole management structure and your dad, you know the people that didn't go on with the new business. How did they handle the whole transition? Well, two of them retired. Uh, one retired, and they knew what they wanted to do, and they were very satisfied. The other brother, um, he retired, but it it was a I would say an adjustment. It took him about six months to a year adjustment uh, with his lifestyle and coming to terms to what. The business, how that didn't couldn't didn't occupy his time anymore. He had to find other things to occupy his time. Uh, and then I had another brother that he went and um, did his own thing. He gave him an opportunity to pursue other opportunities and to um, uh, build a business himself. Interesting. That's awesome. What kind of business? He went into the event management side of the business, which we did do ourselves, but that wasn't going to, we weren't going to pursue that after we sold the company. So he tried to do that part of it. And he was limited to a certain degree by his buy sell agreement, but, um, he tried to do that. Fun, fun, fun. 
Well, I uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with uh, our community. Is there anything, if there was one takeaway for all the listeners, what, do you, what would you leave them with? Well, I would say early on in your process, whether you're just starting a company or whether you're a very mature company, that you take steps to uh, prepare for your first, yourself first financially so that you and your family is taken care of, whether that's through estate planning or wealth planning, that process. I would also then look at the process of increasing the value of your business by improving your processes or more organic changes in the business so that you have those first two legs of the stool somewhat in place. And then it gives you the opportunity to control what you want to do after that point in time, how you want to transition it, when, where, why, and into who. And then if there's one way that our listeners can get in touch with you, what are the couple different avenues that you prefer? Well, they can reach me in my email. My email is Chris Goble at Crossroads Consulting Group LLC.com. Perfect, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on today. Okay, thank you.